The word of our Lord from the book of Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Please, listen, let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was that after the Lord had spoken to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts, to our minds, and to our lives. In the name of your Son we pray. Amen. The events of just this past week ought to be a poignant reminder to us if you've watched any of the news or seen any of the headlines or um, even logged on to Facebook. You've seen some of the things that have been going on. They're, they serve really as a poignant reminder to us of the importance of thinking rightly about suffering. Thinking rightly about when life doesn't work like it ought to work and when tragedy hits and when the unthinkable happens and when a world in which we thought we were relatively safe turns out that we aren't. When in the midst of suffering it's very rarely a, a, a fitting time to think very deeply about suffering. Typically we do ourselves a better service by thinking before we get to the midst of suffering. Just last night, I was um, I was uh, notified via Facebook that uh, uh, someone that I knew in high school Thursday went into cardiac arrest and last night in the hospital died. Now, this was not a uh, a close friend. But this was someone that I knew and someone that I went to high school with and someone that is a year older than I am. And to hear that sort of news is quite shocking. Almost every week, it seems, we are given reason to stop and to think about pain and to stop and think about death. And these are always very uncomfortable subjects for us. It's never comfortable to wrestle with suffering. It's... um, It, it sometimes seems even inappropriate to, to wrestle with suffering. We don't want to dwell on it too much. We want to ignore it is, is typically, uh, is, is often our response. We want to brush it away. Uh, you know, if, if you ignore it, it'll go away. That sort of thing. 
But we live in a world that has suffering. We live in a world that has pain. We live in a world that has death. And most of us encounter pain and suffering and death on a very regular basis. And so it is good to think rightly about it. It's it's good also to be able to speak rightly about it. But most importantly, I think, is living rightly in the midst of it. And so this morning, as we come to the end of this series of sermons, um, if, you, if you've fallen behind and you're wanting to catch up, again, you can go to the website, podcast, and you can catch up along with all the others who are catching up in Honduras and, and elsewhere. Um, this morning, let's start with thinking rightly. God does not cause everything that happens to happen. Some things happen that He does not want to happen, but that He does allow to happen. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't He care? After all, that's always, that, that's always the, the hang-up. If there's a good God who can do all things, then why does He let innocent people suffer? Why does He allow a world that has so much pain and so much death, death, so much of it being completely and utterly inexplicable and unjustified. You know, there are times in our lives where we, for a better purpose, allow suffering. Bear with me. Parents allow their kids to ride out fevers sometimes. The immediate response when someone has a fever is to think, oh my goodness, we've got to get the fever down. But if we stop and think, we know that that fever is there for a purpose. The, the body is fighting something. It's fighting an infection, perhaps. And so it elevates its temperature to try to help fight that infection. Now, there are times where the fever gets too high and you certainly have to pull it back down. But there are times where it is good to ride out a fever. Parents let their children fail assignments. And if you've never let your child fail at something, you're probably doing them a disservice. We all need to learn what it is to fail. Parents allow their children to scrape knees. I remember, I think it was Imogene. I keep using her um, during this series. But I think it was Imogene. She, she fell and she was trying to ride a bike. Uh, and she fell and she scratched up her knee and she was so upset about it and she's crying and she says she's never going to do it again. She's never going to get back on that stinking bike because this hurts too bad. And I, and I told her, I said, you know, honey, I said, it was pretty fun for a while until you fell, wasn't it? She said, well, yeah. I said, in life, you're going to scratch up your knees an awful lot. Part of living is, is dealing with the pains and, and, and hurts of living. 
we inflict suffering on ourselves sometimes. If you've exercised, you probably know what I mean. Most of us don't like exercising. But some of us, good for you, do it. Exercise is a type of self-inflicted suffering where we cause the body to ache and we cause the body to hurt. We cause the body stress in order to strengthen the body, in order to strengthen the heart muscle, in order to slim down the body and get it into better shape. We elevate our blood pressure and our heart rate and we sweat out toxins. In college, I, there were a couple of years where some friends of uh, friends and I did a little bit of indoor mountain climbing. And I never did any outdoor mountain climbing or anything like that. And I was never really even good at, at indoor mountain climbing. I could get to the top of the wall, but that was about it. I couldn't go up the, the difficult uh, sides or, or any of that tricky stuff. But if you've ever seen anybody that does outdoor mountain climbing, you, you'll notice that there's an awful lot of suffering involved in it. At the zoo just a few weeks ago, Aiden and Emery uh, were trying their hands at at uh, at climbing the little outdoor mountain they had there. And I'm telling you, their little knees and, and elbows were shaking trying to get up another rung. And they could get pretty high up that wall. It hurts when you're climbing. But to be climbing an actual mountain, there's blood involved. Because your fingers are hanging on with their tips to rock to try to get a little further up. There's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of pain involved. We choose things like undergoing chemo and radiation treatments which inflicts suffering upon the body to try to kill what is trying to kill the body. Even in, an, in attending funerals, we are choosing to put ourselves into an uncomfortable situation God does not cause everything that happens to happen. But some things happen that He does not want to happen, but that He does allow to happen. Now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't Job about the fact that God causes everything? After all, you've got Job and his three friends talking an awful lot about the weather that, that, that God causes and the weather that God commands. Even the beginning of the book, you, you find that that, uh, that Satan comes into the throne room of God and says, I would like to test your servant Job. And interestingly enough, it puts in God's mouth Job's name first. God says, hey, if you consider my servant Job, he's a pretty good, pretty good faithful guy. So the book leads you to believe that all this is happening because of God's doing. But I want to encourage you, 
then it's best, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. Job is perhaps the earliest recorded Scripture that we have. It's got some of the oldest Hebrew of the Old Testament. And Job and his friends live in a very simple world, a world that we often mistake ourselves for living in, a world in which the good guys win and the bad guys lose. You ever woken up and realized that simple world is not the real world? Sometimes it is the nice guys that finish last. They live in a world in which everything happens for a reason. And how many times have you heard that said in your own world? Well, it happened for a reason. Well, I don't understand why God did this, but one day I will. Perhaps not even until the other side. I want to encourage you also when thinking about the book of Job that God has revealed Himself progressively. In the Old Testament, they had shadows of the Messiah who was to come, but they didn't have the real thing yet. They had systems in place like the, 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 the priestly system, the sacrificial system, the prophets, the priests, the king. They had the tabernacle and then the temple. But they didn't have the one who was the archetype. In fact, the part of the point of the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, part of his point is that we have something now that is better than what they had then. We've got the... the We've got a more full picture of who God is and the great lengths to which He will go to redeem us as His people. So bear in mind that God has revealed Himself progressively. And if indeed Job is one of the earliest of the Old Testament books, then we've got to remember that Job and his friends, they're in the midst of suffering, they're in the midst of pain, and they're trying to come up with answers in a very simple world where evil is caused by your own evil, where suffering is a result of some sin that you've committed. Also bear in mind that Scripture bears elements of the times. Texts that are written during the times of kings are going to have a a regal influence. Texts that are written when everybody assumes that suffering is a result of, of one's own sin and not just sin being in the world is going to reflect that. The Scriptures would have us believe that God does not cause everything that happens to happen. Some things happen that He does not want to happen, but that He does allow to happen. And interestingly enough, God takes ultimate responsibility. He takes 
ultimate responsibility, even quite literally into Himself. That is what the cross is about. God saying, I did not cause this, but I will take responsibility for it. I will take it into Myself and I will redeem it. God does not cause sin or evil, but He will surely deal with it. Now when I say that God does not cause sin or evil, and when I say that God does not cause everything that happens to happen, that sometimes He just allows things to happen rather than wanting them, some might think that that's that's an affront to God's sovereignty. That it's a, a questioning of His omnipotence. But bear in mind that the Scriptures are quite clear that there are indeed some things that are impossible even for God. Twice in the New Testament, at least, we're told that it is impossible for God to lie. We are told also in the New Testament that it is impossible for Him to deny Himself. Does He allow sin and evil? Yes. Yes, He does. To be sure, He does. But the question that we really want to ask is why does he allow sin and evil? Why? In a word, love. It is because of love that God will create a world in which he will allow there to be sin and allow there to be evil. Love. Love requires freedom. It requires freedom. And freedom means risk. Risk brings loss. It's not inevitable, but it is probable. It is not necessary, but it is likely. Love requires freedom. Freedom brings risk, and risk brings loss. But why does He allow really, really bad things to happen, especially to the innocent? Ultimately, we don't really know. But we do know that He is able to redeem anything and everything. Paul tells us in the New Testament that God is able not to cause all things and somehow therefore are good, but He is able to work all things toward our good. Even the really terrible things, God is able to redeem in our lives.
don't give up what you do know on account of what you don't know. That's a very important life lesson. I may not know trigonometry, but I do know basic mathematics. And I do know that 2 plus 2 is 4. And so when I get out into the waters of math and I get to the point where I'm not comfortable going any further, that does not put in vain all that is behind me, all that I've already passed through. In a similar way, I may not know why bad things happen. I may not be able to make sense of why tragedy strikes. I may not be able to make sense of why God will allow certain evils to happen. But I do know that He is good. And I do know that He is able to redeem. And I do know that even when I've gotten through the darkest of possible nights in my life, that God has been able to use those things to bless me. It does not mean He caused them. It does not mean that He was blindsided by them. But it does mean that He is so good that He is able to use them. What's more, where does it ever stop? Lord, don't allow this headache. Why would you let me go through this thing? It's horrible. I've had headaches like that where I think... I want to rip out my hair and go to the emergency room and tell them, just give me something. It hurts so bad. What if that headache is the result of having a tooth removed? Well, God, why did you let me have that tooth removed? Well, that tooth was, was removed because it had rotted out. Well, God, why did you allow that tooth to rot out? Well, it rotted out because of the candy that I was eating. Well, God, why did you... Wait a minute. I don't want to go there. Lord, don't allow me to drive over the speed limit. Lord, don't allow too much rain. Just enough. Not too much. Please allow there to be plenty maybe a little bit more over here and a little less over there now please know I'm not arguing for deism where God is absent and uninvolved I'm not arguing for that at all what the scriptures clearly tell us is that God is intimately involved in our world But it also tells us that He is able to do all things, not that He does all things. When we're thinking rightly about pain and suffering, 
We ought to also keep an honest assessment of life and its troubles. Not all of life is terrible. In case you've forgotten that or in case you failed to get that memo, not all of life is terrible. Talk about understatement. There are quite a few goods in life. There are quite a few blessings in life. There are quite a few joys and quite a few days of peace and quite a few days of happiness in life. Even the thing that keeps you up at night, worrying and stressing, living with anxiety, that's just one of the things going on in your life. It may seem like the biggest It may seem like the most pressing. You know, headaches are that way. When you have a headache, you forget about the fact that the rest of your body is pretty healthy. That that injury on your big toe is healed up quite nicely. That, hey, that that backache that I was having, it's gone. You don't think like that. You think, oh my goodness, the headache is terrible. Let's get rid of the headache. When when we find ourselves overwhelmed by the suffering of life, we do ourselves well to keep an honest assessment. To remember not everything is wrong. Not everything is bad. Not all people are evil. Not everybody around you is a criminal. Not all of life is suffering. I encourage you also to bear in mind that thinking is best done outside the trenches. Typically when when we are in the midst of suffering, the last thing we want to do is to stop and to think clearly. We are filled with emotion and emotions are raw. And that's okay. But I promised you that we would be dealing with today, how do we relate to others when they're suffering? I want to encourage you to speak rightly. And when I say speak speak rightly, there are a few tips that I want to give to you First, don't minimize. How do we minimize? It's all going to be okay. No, it's not. Sometimes it's not going to be okay because sometimes wounds hurt. And those hurts remain with us. Wounds leave scars. Death leaves others behind. And so it's not always going to be okay. It might turn out to be bearable. It might turn out to be redeemed. But it's not as though tomorrow what has happened today is a a non-reality. And so when others are going through suffering, don't minimize their suffering. 
I remember during my second semester of seminary, I, I, I bet I told this to Jeremy a number of times. I was dealing with a, an awful lot, of, awful lot of stuff. There was quite a bit of stress going on. Uh, we were expecting our first child. Lindsay had been uh, not laid off of work, but told, hey, you take a vacation, and when you're done with your vacation, this job won't be here anymore, but you go take your vacation. There were a lot of things going on. And one of the ways that I was able to cope with all of the craziness that was going on and all of the seemingly impossible circumstances was to be very dismissive about my own suffering. And so I'd be in conversations with folks like Jeremy, and I would say, oh, it'll all come out in the wash. And he would just kind of laugh and go along with it. Now, don't say that about somebody else's suffering. It'll all come out in the wash. Because sometimes it won't. Sometimes shirts get stained and it's not coming out no matter how many times you wash it. And so don't minimize the suffering of another. Even if in your mind you're thinking rightly, remember they're not. Even if in your mind you're thinking it's not as bad as they think it is. That's not the time to say that. Don't minimize When speaking rightly, we should also bear in mind that we ought to not compare. Don't compare. Rarely does anyone care about how you've gone through similar or perhaps even worse suffering when they're in the midst of their own. When someone is suffering, when someone is experiencing Pain. When someone is experiencing death, that is not the time to, to get into a one-upmanship battle with them about, oh, I'll tell you what, I remember this one time. Or, hey, sister, I know exactly what you're going through. My aunt died. Okay, well, this is my sister. A little different. Don't compare. It does no good. There are times where we want to commiserate and we want to, to let them know that we empathize. But people can know that we empathize. They know more clearly that we empathize with their situation by our actions and our presence than by our words and by our comparisons. Don't minimize, don't compare, and don't explain. This was the trouble of Job's friends. And this is what brought God's wrath upon them. If you read on in chapter 42, you find that Yahweh tells those friends, you're the ones that I'm really angry with. And so because of your sin in explaining Job's situation... Because of your sin, you're going to go and offer a sacrifice. And Job will help you to offer these sacrifices. And because of my disposition toward Job, because he's on my good side right now, I will accept his sacrifice in your behalf. But you're the ones that I'm really inflamed with. 
Interestingly enough, if you scoot back in Job and you come back to uh, the, the first part of the end of the book, you find that Job has been complaining and he's been talking to these friends and they've been giving him just empty advice. And Job keeps saying, if God would just show up, I want to have a conversation with him because I've got a problem here. I've done nothing wrong, and yet all these bad things have happened to me. I've lost my family. I've lost my possessions. I've lost my health. And I've got a bone to pick with God. When God does show up, Job becomes silent. God says, tell me, young man, where were you when I hung the moon and the stars? Tell me, where were you, young man, when I sang all of the world into creation? Where were you when I separated the waters from the land? Where were you? You think you'd be a better God than I would be? Go right ahead. Show me. What would you do? But even still, there seems to be a sense in which Yahweh sees in Job some truth, some reality, some honesty. His problem with Job's friends is that they're trying to explain everything. The fact is that not everything can be understood despite the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom of Job's day was you sin, you suffer. And therefore the converse of that is the same. If you're suffering, you have sinned. So Job, what sin have you committed? I haven't committed any sin. I haven't done anything wrong. That's impossible. You're suffering. This suffering has come from some source, and that source lies within you. What sin have you committed? I've done nothing wrong. I haven't sinned. Not everything can fit into those nice little boxes. And so we ought not try to explain. There ought to be a a great chasm that separates what we think about our own suffering and what we say about the suffering of others. Because what they need in the midst of suffering is not our explanations. Because our explanations in the end won't really do much good. In thinking about speaking rightly, I want to encourage you also, lastly, and this is going to be kind of ironic, don't speak. Say nothing. This is usually what's needed. Typically what is needed is just a lack of words. Because words often fail 
in the midst of suffering. We may say we want an explanation, but we really don't. We want someone to hear us. We want someone to feel with us. We want to know that our feelings are justifiable. That our pain is not wasted. More importantly than even speaking rightly and having the right things to say is living rightly. Living a certain way when others are going through suffering. And I want to encourage you, when others are suffering, be there for them. Be there for family. Be there for friends. Interestingly enough, it was Job's wife that kind of falls off the picture early on. When Job is in the midst of all of his troubles, when everything is collapsing around him and his whole world is falling apart, his wife tells him, Good grief, Job. Just curse God and die. Just be done with it. Now that's not a good example of being there for family. What is a good example of being there is is his friends. Now, yes, they're saying way too much and they're trying to explain and they're trying to justify what's happening and they're trying to help Job get to the center of things, get, get, to the, get to the origin of all this pain and suffering, which is not what he needs. But what he does need is what they provide in the beginning and that is simply their presence. These three, these three friends actually show up. And they, they suffer with Him. Be there for family. Be there for friends. There are people suffering all around you. And sometimes all they need is you. Not your words. Not your ideas. Not your thoughts. Not, not, not conversations. Typically what they need is kind of a one-sided conversation where you'll hear them out and just be there. Living rightly when others are suffering also means that we hurt when others hurt and we cry when others cry. It's very important. It's a very important aspect of being there for them is being able to feel their pain. But in order to do this, we've got to be willing to put our lives on hold for a time. That's the amazing thing about Job's three friends. For all their shortcomings, for all their failings, for all of their trouble that they get into with Yahweh, they were at least willing to put life on hold because Job was going through a tough time. Because Job found himself in the midst of loss. He found himself in the midst of death, in the midst of pain and suffering. And they put their lives on hold for him. What might God be able to do through us 
for the sake of others if we would be willing sometimes to put our lives on hold. To drop everything, even if just for a little while. When others are suffering, we do them well and we reflect the character and behavior of God. We mirror what Christ has done if we will also take some of the poison into ourselves. Be the one who some of the screaming is directed at. Be the one who some of the irrational conversation is directed toward. Be the one who is willing to take the brunt of the anger. We do live in a world that is filled with suffering. Our lives, some more than others, have known far too much pain. We've experienced far too much death. And sometimes, when words fail... We need to simply stop speaking. And we need to start reflecting the self-giving love of Christ which will lay down self for the sake of others. Let's pray.